<laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Guru Mojo Podcast, number 11. I'm your host, Kenny Jenkins, and it's my job to share the wisdom and insights that I have found to be helpful to me in becoming a happier and more compassionate person. Guru Mojo comes from the idea that everyone can take responsibility for their own spiritual life. There are so many practices and philosophies out there that it can be easy to miss the ones that may really speak to you and be the most helpful. For me, after some 25 years of seeking a higher truth, I have found some things that have brought me so much peace and happiness that I just want to tell everyone. The problem is, they don't want to hear it. So I made this podcast. And if you're listening now, there's a chance that you're a seeker too. And maybe there's a reason you're here. I mean, of course, there's a reason you're here in general. And a reason you found this podcast as well. All right. So let's get started. But before we dive in, I'd like to introduce my new sponsor. That's right. I'm so happy to announce that today's episode is brought to you by the good people over at shopgurumojo.com. Hey, that's me. I've cobbled together a little web store to help spread joy around the universe. That's shopgurumojo.com. And I'll talk a little more about that later. But I am really grateful to the folks over at shopgurumojo.com. Sponsoring this, yeah, it's me. It's me, little web store. It's awesome. So, let's get into it. I'm so excited to tell you all the great and amazing things I've been getting into lately. You may know that I have a long history of getting involved with ideas and practices that typically reside just outside of what our culture deems normal. Everything from Buddhism to meditation and yoga to psychedelic plant medicine and visionary art, veganism, (laughs) all that weird stuff that all my family and friends are so sick of me blabbering about. So I made a podcast and here we are. At least you can just turn this off whenever you want. I mean, right? Now, over the last year or so, I've discovered some really amazing things. Uh, Actually, these might be the fringiest of all the fringe things. I've been consumed with reading up and studying this stuff, and it all started about a year ago when I became aware of the modern practice of the use of tarot cards. I know, right? (laughs) And spoiler alert, the name of this episode is Magic, Tarot, and Crystals, so I think you might have a pretty idea where this is headed. We'll just see who makes it to the end. So, as I have been practicing Buddhist meditation and awareness for just over 20 years at this point, I've also spent a lot of time studying philosophy and listening to Alan Watts and reading the Dalai Lama and Ken Wilber and stuff like that. As such, I thought I had just about played out all the exciting concepts and methods. I thought I had pretty much figured it out by learning from the masters. Not that I had attained enlightenment or anything, but I had an idea of what it meant and how to practice and how to live with happiness and compassion. Good, good stuff. 
it's, it's the real goods. And then, about five years ago, I heard this guy named Jason Louvre on the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast and heard for the first time that magic, real magic, had mostly to do with meditation and self-improvement. I mean, what? Really? I had no idea. Uh, Magic had definitely been off my radar, but that definitely got my attention. I started listening to Jason's Ultra Culture podcast. That's Jason Louvre, Ultra Culture podcast. It's really great. I haven't had the urge to start a magical practice, but it is fascinating. As it turns out, magic is simply the Western esoteric practice. I've been steeped in the Eastern esoterics, like my favorite flavor of Buddhism, Zog Chen, from Tibet. Jason Louvre spells it out in his book, John D. and the Empire of Angels. Speaking of magic as being the Western esoteric tradition, and how it should really be called, quoting the book, it should really be called esoteric Protestantism. That it is indeed the inner esoteric expression of the Protestant Reformation, and that it has played a guiding role in the spread of Protestantism and its ideals throughout the world. Okay, interesting. He goes on to say that, All religions have an exoteric shell, a system of rules and dogmas for lay people, along with smaller inner esoteric groups focused on mysticism, individual experimentation with spiritual techniques. Examples include tantric schools of Hinduism and Buddhism, the holy orders in Catholicism, the Kabbalists in Judaism, the Sufi schools of Islam, and many more. In addition to meditation, magic also involves making contact with angels. This is just me talking. Uh, Which is totally wild, making contact with angels. Of course, it sounds like airy-fairy make-believe until you realize that these are the same angels that are talked about in the Bible. Like the archangels Gabriel and Michael. They both show up in Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. The same angels. The same dudes angeling around to anybody who will pay them any attention, apparently. These waters run so deep. At first, when I heard that John D., check out Jason's book, back in the 1500s, was receiving magical messages from angels, my eyes started to roll a little bit. I mean, if you're not already into it, it sounds crazy when you hear something like that. But if you consider yourself Christian, Jewish or Muslim, you may have forgotten that you already take for granted magical angelic messages that form the basis of your own religion. It's not something we think about much, but those are supposedly the same angels. If we believe those stories from our own religions, shouldn't we consider that maybe those angels did happen to speak with some other people at some point? It shouldn't be so unimaginable. At any rate, we've already basically agreed that there are beings from dimensions other than our own who, at times, have communicated with us. Okay? Let me drink a little water here. Where was I? Before I started making mouth noises. 
Sarah Silverman's got me self-conscious about my mouth noises. <laughs> All right. There are so many parallels to the practices of these different religions and magic. If you've ever seen a Catholic Mass, it's a finely tuned ritual. Not so different from a magic ceremony. There are special robes to wear, dab yourself with some holy water, candles are lit, incense may be burned, there's chanting or singing, an invocation of spirit and ceremonial objects, with the Mass culminating in the celebration of the Eucharist, where, through ritual, bread, and wine are transformed into the flesh and blood of Christ that is then eaten and drunk up by the parishioners. That sounds crazy, by the way. My wife is Catholic and tells me that the bread and the wine are literally transformed into the flesh and blood of Christ. It is not a metaphor. And for the record, I have attended hundreds of Catholic Masses. What strikes me as so appealing about magic is that it encourages a daily meditation practice so that when there is something that one wants to manifest, one has the mental clarity and acute focus of awareness that it takes to successfully perform the ritual to make the thing happen. This falls into line with what I've been learning about manifestation. And it also occurs to me that a magical ceremony that has a defined outcome will in fact act to reinforce the mental states needed to affect the outcome itself. You have to be clear about what you want in order to perform a ritual. And in performing the ritual, you're putting it out to the universe as your intention. And the confidence you must have in the process, even to begin any such ritual, is the knowing part of manifestation where you feel as if the thing has already been attained. As I understand it, having only begun to study it, the physical act of the ritual or ceremony is thoroughly more powerful than just practicing manifestation as a thought exercise. Check out episode 9 for manifestation techniques. Okay, so I had this vague idea that magic was more about meditation and self-improvement back a few years ago. I didn't deep dive on it at that point, but it was there. Then about two years ago, I started listening to the Synchronicity podcast with Noah Lampert. Also discovered him on the DTFH. He was talking about meta manifest. <laughs> he was talking about manifestation and Neville Goddard, and then he would mention tarot cards. I was like, "What? This guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about with all this self empowerment and manifestation." And now what? Tarot cards? Uh, I've never been exposed to tarot. It would only rarely even show up in a movie or something. It seemed silly to me. But the more he would talk about it, I began to get a sense that the cards were being used as a tool to spark the intuition. I became intrigued. I checked out some tarot podcasts and landed on Tarot Bites by Teresa Reed, the tarot lady. I highly recommend following her on Instagram at the tarot lady. She's awesome. As it turns out, tarot is deeply spiritual. The cards are filled with symbolism that, when you have settled your mind and become present, can allow you to intuit answers to any questions you may have. They say that the tarot cards depict every situation that a person can find themselves in. Every life struggle or triumph is in there. 
The way the cards are designed is brilliant. There are many attributes and associations with numerology, astrology, the elements, and Kabbalah. Now there's a can of worms. I'm not 100% on board with astrology yet, but Kabbalah definitely amazes me. It has also been said that the study of tarot in and of itself is a spiritual practice. That's kind of where I am with it. It's a part of the stock and trade of magic as well. So the way tarot works is that the images on the cards are used to spark your intuition. You begin a session by centering yourself and quieting your mind, as we do in meditation. And then you ask a question, or the person you're reading for asks a question. You can pull cards for yourself as well as others. Uh, you mindfully focus on the question as you shuffle, and then lay out a number of cards. There are different configurations you can lay, that up, lay them out in. Uh, they're called spreads, like the Celtic cross, or a past-present-future spread. Then you look over them to see what images catch your eye and ask yourself how these images might apply to the answer to your question. For example, the first card in the deck is called the fool, and it usually shows someone embarking on a journey, often on top of a cliff or a hill with one foot stepping out into thin air. The fool usually has like a travel pack over his shoulder, um, all of this indicating the start of a journey, a new beginning, a bit of naivete. The fool is not wise, but he has the sense of adventure needed to undertake new adventures. This can be encouragement for someone asking about starting a new business, but with a warning not to jump into it without some due diligence, some looking around for where you might want to land. Or take the Ten of Swords. In one popular deck, it shows someone lying face down on the ground with ten huge swords sticking out of them. It is gruesome. But it can mean the end of a season of life. Depending on the question, it could be the end of a career or a partnership. It can tell you that something is coming to a conclusion that might be painful, but that always will set you up for a new beginning. Or it could just mean back pain. It depends on the question. What I really like about tarot is that it will almost always have that positive slant, even after some doom and gloom. And I like that it is your own interpretation that is most relevant. Each tarot deck comes with a guidebook that describes the meanings of the cards, but those are only a guide. There's nothing rigid. As Teresa Reed always says at the end of her podcast, and yes, I'm saying this from memory, nothing is set in stone. The cards tell a story, but you write the ending. What she is saying is that a prediction made in a reading should be interpreted as what will happen if nothing changes. What the cards offer is the insight into where these things are headed so that if you don't like the outcome, you can change your actions and change the result. A great place to start if you're interested is Teresa's podcast, Tarot Bites. That's B-Y-T-E-S. Tarot Bites. They're quick 10 to 15 minute episodes all about tarot. Uh, if you start from the beginning, she explains everything, and if that sparks more interest, then I highly recommend her book, Tarot, No Questions Asked. There are literally hundreds of decks out there, and most of the ones I've seen are really beautiful. I'm currently in love with my Thoth deck, created by Aleister Crowley, and stunningly painted by Lady Frida Harris, 
That's Thoth. <laughs> T-H-O-T-H. The images are truly magical to behold, both beautiful and disturbing. Everything in a card is available to spark your intuition, from the facial expressions of characters and different objects, to shades of color, or the way someone's hand is posed. Something that struck me from a lecture I watched on YouTube of the world-famous magician Lon Milo Duquette is that when your mind is quiet and everything is still, the answers to a question are all around you. You can read them in tarot cards or tea leaves or just in the room around you. It's like all of creation is telling you the answer if you would just listen and quiet down. So as far as that goes, the illustrations of tarot may be more helpful in sparking that awareness than deciphering shapes in a jumble of spent tea leaves. And now I'd like to talk about crystals. Oh, crystals. I love crystals so much that I've started a shop online. You remember, the sponsors of our show, shopgurumojo.com. I've had this idea of having a little store where I can share books that I recommend or maybe sell cushions for meditation. But you can get all that stuff on Amazon. And competing with Amazon seems kind of silly. But what you don't get on Amazon is a lovingly curated crystal collection. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Let me back up. I started hearing about crystals on Noah Lampert's Synchronicity podcast, just like the tarot cards. My interest was sparked. Then I remembered that my old favorite metaphysical shop here in Jacksonville, the Midnight Sun, is about half filled with crystals. I didn't know the significance. I always thought they looked cool, and growing up at the beach, I've always been into hunting shark's teeth and loved finding some fossils here and there. Well, on Noah's podcast, he interviewed his sister, who has an amazing crystal collection, Tessa Rose, on Instagram. And what do you know? Each different crystal has metaphysical properties associated with it. Again, interest peaked. I headed out to Midnight Sun to see what was what. I bought a book that I thought was going to help me understand how crystals were formed in the earth and to help identify which one was which. So I bought what seemed to be the most substantial crystal book on the shelf, The Book of Stones by Robert Simmons and Naisha Asian. I couldn't have been more wrong or more impressed. The Book of Stones is not a boring old encyclopedia of crystal identification, but rather it is a huge, dazzling, esoteric treatise on the metaphysical properties of crystals. Glory, hallelujah, Ejebabande. Now, if you're as unfamiliar with these metaphysical properties as I was, and I mean, I had absolutely no idea that this was a thing. Crystals have different associated metaphysical properties that correspond to different chakras, astrological signs, and emotions, and more. Uh, they're each assigned to one of the elements, and they're incorporated into Kabbalah. It kind of goes on and on. For example, reading from the Book of Stones, Amethyst is associated with the keywords protection, purification, divine connection, and release of addictions. Its element is wind, and its chakras are the third eye, 
crown, and the etheric. In the description, Robert Simmons says, It is appropriate to view amethyst as a stone of spiritual protection and purification. It can be an aid to curbing overindulgence and giving up bad habits. It can be used to assist one in quitting smoking, drinking, or drug use. It stimulates the crown chakra and is an aid to meditation, helping one to still one's thoughts and move into higher states of consciousness. It can clear one's energy field of negative influences and attachments and can thereby facilitate the creation of an energetic shield, a field of spiritual light around the body that wards off negativity in one's environment. I mean, is that amazing or what? This is all so new to me. My mind is seriously blown. Here's what they say in the book about meditation with stones. Meditation with stones. Perhaps the single best means to learn to feel crystal energies is to hold a stone or several stones during meditation. In meditation, one works to gently clear the mind of thought and enter a state of positive receptivity. Many of the serenity-inducing stones, such as celestite, can help one achieve this state. Other stones, which one may choose for pure For purposes of shifting consciousness, healing, or activating specific energy centers in the body, or aura, will have their strongest effects during meditation. This is because meditation quiets the mind and allows new influences to penetrate consciousness. Thus, during meditation, the stones feel stronger, not only because one is able to pay closer attention to subtle changes, but also because the state of openness allows for more pronounced effects. Many of the minerals discussed in this book can facilitate beneficial awakenings and shifts of consciousness. In fact, I believe that the most important uses of stones involve the expansion of consciousness and the quickening of human evolution through such inner openings. Meditation with stones is the major means by which such processes are initiated, and it is during meditation that my own most profound experiences with stones have happened. The reader is encouraged to undertake his or her own explorations of the higher worlds through meditation with whatever minerals call out, either from the pages of this book or the shelves of the local crystal store. Such stones as Phenocyte, azestulite, brookite, herderite, <laughs> moldavite, and others are among the most powerful tools for facilitating visionary experience, out-of-body travel, and other openings to the higher dimensions. Yeah. <laughs> These metaphysical associations go deeper. This is me talking now. Uh, there is said to be a stone being an actual consciousness that resides within each crystal. Let's go back to the Book of Stones to the section, Who are the Stones? It's just three paragraphs, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Who are the Stones? Having sketched out a number of means by which one may take advantage of the potential benefits offered by the energies of stones, I want to conclude this introductory chapter with a question. Are stones alive? 
Of course, we know that in terms of biology's definition of life, they are not. Yet, crystals grow. They sometimes decay. And perhaps most importantly, they seem to communicate with us. At least those of us who can hear them. Whether we are discussing the quartz crystal, which guided the rainbow serpent of Australian Aboriginal mythology, or the crystal skull, through which the shaman speaks with beings of the other world, or the rock on the shelf of the crystal store that calls out to us as we walk by, the interaction of human beings with spirit through minerals, and perhaps with the spirits of minerals, is both long-standing and widespread. And if, as discussed above, our own bodies are liquid crystals through which we as souls express ourselves, our conversations with these stones may not be so far-fetched. My co-author, Naisha, coined the term crystal allies for the friendly entities or benevolent energies expressing themselves through the stones. I like that name because it both personifies them and describes their orientation as helpers to humanity. One of the costs of our Western rational objectivity is that it has figuratively killed the world. We see ourselves surrounded by dead objects rather than a living, teeming, conscious world. Even animals and plants seem relatively dead to many of us, certainly not possessing the qualities of soul and spirit we have reserved for ourselves. Yet this is not the view of many indigenous cultures. In South America, the shamans report that the plants have, for centuries, spoken directly with them, telling their medicinal and other properties. The same is true in many other societies, for the animal spirits and even the stones. I want to suggest that, if we take off the cultural blinders of our upbringing, we may find that the world, in all of its manifestations, is quite alive and conscious, constantly communicating with those of us who have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. If we follow the advice of Martin Buber and view each object in our world not as an it, but as a thou, more life and greater joy will spring up within ourselves. We will lose some of our arrogance and gain an awareness of communion with all that is. So we invite our readers to imagine that there are such entities as crystal allies welcoming us to their world and sharing the knowledge of how they and we can work together for the benefit of life, love, and consciousness. In our intuitive writing, Naisha and I have opened ourselves in this way, freely expressing the thoughts and images that came to us. These ideas, combined with our experiments and experiences with the stones, form the core of this book. In respect and affection for the stones as fellow beings, we have capitalized their names throughout these pages. We hope you will enjoy meeting the Denzians of the Mineral Kingdom as you journey through the pages of the Book of Stones, learning who they are and what they teach. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it right there for now. I would like to mention that Robert Simmons did publish a new book in 2020 called The Alchemy of Stones, which is a deep dive into what he was just talking about. 
I'm just digging into that, but it's amazing. Also, both books are available at shopgurumojo.com. And if you're just a little bit interested, check out Robert on YouTube. He actually reads and discusses the first few chapters of the new book. Search Robert Simmons Crystals on YouTube and pick up the books if you like what you see. And that's all for now. And if you've made it to the end, (laughs) good on you. You're my people. That's awesome. Thank you. Please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It really does help people find it, and I would be so grateful. And don't forget to check out my store over at shopgurumojo.com for some amazing crystals. I'm just getting started, and I'm looking into having some tarot decks and some books available as well. And check me out on Instagram at gurumojo.crystals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I wish you all the best. Namaste.